Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Have you ever bought something, owned something that really inspired you to up your game? A tennis racket, a new pair of running shoes, a new piece of cooking equipment that made you just want to cook your brains out? I know that when I first started cooking on induction burners, I just couldn't stop. It was so much fun. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Some of the features that are available on this car include dynamic sky panorama glass roof, front row massaging seats, you know you want that, available 33-inch all-terrain tires, which you will want when you check out the multi-terrain select. These are really great features, the kind of features that will make you proud and happy to own a Lexus GX. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. I cover all things food, from cooking to gardening to fabulous ingredients to junk food, health, sustainability, even policy. You might say I'm obsessed with everything about food. Food is the one substance that connects everything to everything else, and it connects us all. Not only can we not live without it, not only does it determine much of what goes on in the world, but we love it. Hi, and welcome to Food with Mark Bittman. Today, we're going to have a conversation with Eric Repair. I first met Eric probably 30 years ago. He was a skinny, up-and-coming kid, incredibly handsome, which he remains. Wonderful chef, great personality, widely loved but uh, brought a kind of simplicity to New York's fine dining scene that really had not been seen before. Like 
stripped down minimalist food of the highest order and then served in this uber elegant, uh, sometimes frankly overwhelming setting, but always like the cleanest, most beautiful food. And most of it fish, of course, because Laburn and I was a fish restaurant, is a fish restaurant, but increasingly Eric has moved toward vegetables and we'll talk about that. It's an interesting conversation. He's a lovely, articulate, terrific man. That's coming up, as well as questions and answers with Carrie and Kate and Daniel and even me, and some recipes, which I think you'll enjoy too. And more coming up on Food with Mark Bittman. Eric's new book, Vegetables Simple, is such a treat that I'm really excited to offer you a couple of abbreviated recipes from it. You can find the full recipes on uh, markbitman.com. They are, like, almost without exception, among the simplest recipes you'll ever find. All vegetables, for example, shaved fennel parmesan salad. You trim and shave a thin slice or mandolin, a bulb of fennel. Uh, You save the fronds. And... You toss that with salt and white pepper, and then you add a tablespoon of good extra virgin olive oil and one and a half teaspoons of lemon juice, and you toss that and then shave about two ounces of Parmesan on it. That's it, and I've had that. It is amazing. Um, Similarly, you can take two big carrots. This is a recipe a few pages earlier in the book. You take two big carrots, you peel and grate them on the big holes of a box grater or in a food processor, if you like. Toss that with salt and pepper, and then dress that with the juice of a lemon and three tablespoons of olive oil. So similar but different. Both of these are awesome. If post-COVID you're among the people who are fantasizing about glorious travel, you might want to join me on next April's Mediterranean cruise with Regent Seven Seas Cruises. This is going to be a 10-night sailing from Lisbon to Barcelona. It's an all-inclusive luxury cruise stopping at Cadiz, Funchal, Casablanca, and several other exciting ports. Shore excursions are included, and I'll be leading some of them as well as doing onboard cooking classes, talks, gatherings, and so on. There's a two-category upgrade for people who book before June 30th, and Liz Nixon, who is the queen of cruises, is offering exclusive discounts to my followers just for another few days. So if this is your thing, now is the time to do it. We have been posting um, recipes and other links every Tuesday on markbitman.com, and you'll find this link and this blurb up there as well, markpittman.com. Thanks. My guest today is Eric Repair. Eric was born in the town of Antibes on the Mediterranean coast of France and soon moved to Andorra, which is in the Pyrenees. He began cooking at 15 15, yes. He moved to Paris at 17, and then he began doing a bunch of things that by necessity include the word legendary. He began cooking at the legendary La Tour de Jean, 
And then he moved to the legendary Jamat, where he eventually worked directly under the legendary Joe Robichon as the head fish chef or poissonnier. In 1989, Eric moved to the States and began working for the legendary Jean-Louis Paladin as Jean-Louis at the Watergate, an incredible place, I have to say. We may have met there, although I don't remember it. He then became the sous chef for the legendary David Boulay in New York uh, before he took over for another of my early chef influences, Eberhard Mueller at Le Bernardin. I want to talk about that. Repair has since firmly established himself as one of New York's and the world's great chefs. He got four stars at Le Bernardin in 1995 before he was 30 from the Times, four stars, and subsequently got four stars five consecutive times. Uh, Le Bernardin is the only restaurant to maintain this status for this length of time without ever dropping a star. Eric is vice chairman of the Board of City Harvest, which works to bring together New York's top chefs and restaurateurs to raise funds and increase the quality and quantity of food donations to New York's neediest. Uh, He's an old friend, a quiet, well-accomplished man, still young, still vibrant, still fun, as you'll see. And we'll talk a little bit about his career, how our paths have crossed, what he's up to, and his latest book, which is called Vegetable Simple. Eric, welcome. Thank you so much. And I'm very happy to be with the legendary Mark Bittman. <laughs> well, thank you for saying that. Um, I have to say, I was, I was, I mean, this is going to sound terrible. Well, we can edit it out, but I was called legendary by someone last week and I practically fell over. But anyway, I guess we're getting to the age where no one knows what to call us. So legendary I mean, they could say old white guy, I suppose. So no, you um, are a legend. I'd you are a legend with everything yeah. you have accomplished in your career. And, uh, well, we all know that in our world, the food world. So thank you. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Let's, we can stop the log rolling, <laughs> as we say. Let's talk a minute about the difference between working directly for Jean-Louis Paladin, who was, you know, as we both know, you know, 10 times better than I do, but as we both know, a lovely man, but also a holy terror. Um <laughs> And then running your own restaurant, running it by yourself. What was that like for a young man? Well, first of all, when I came to the U.S. and I worked for Jean-Louis, I was coming from the kitchen of Joël Robuchon. They were two different universes. I can imagine. And if I can make an analogy, it's like coming out of Catholic school and going straight to Woodstock. <laughs> you know, like, so obviously Jean-Louis was Woodstock. <laughs> and... Uh, it was, it was definitely a culture shock for me, but I learned a lot from Jean-Louis because he was so creative and so generous and uh, very interested by what we have in this country, which is beautiful, beautiful products uh, from produce to fruits and, and, and animals and so on. So I learned a lot from him, but we were working in that very tiny kitchen and I'm sure you, you have been in that tiny kitchen many times. Yeah. And, uh, he was doing miracles every day with the team because he was coming back from visiting uh, a farmer or someone who was uh, harvesting soft shell crabs and he would come at 5 p.m. And, uh, and he would write the menu for the same night and 
whatever you thought would be on the menu wasn't, and you had to redo completely everything. And it was complete chaos, and he loved it. And we actually were having fun with that kind of um, uh, chaos in his kitchen. Then when I when I came to um, to New York, it was different, of course. And then when I came to Le Bernardin, Le Bernardin was a, a very structured and very well uh, oil machine uh, and uh, and very disciplined in the kitchen uh, as well. So I was um, departing from the from the freedom that um, and, and the fun that was in in, in Jean Louis kitchen to something that was fun in a different way, if I may. Le Bernardin had more of a. a- a fixed menu, you knew what was going to happen every day. It was pretty regimented and so on. Do you know the first time I heard a story like the story you just told about Jean-Louis, I think actually Jean-Georges von Richten told me this story about someplace he worked when he was young, where the chef would come in and say, no prep, do not do prep. I will tell you the menu an hour before we are due for service. And then you will know what to prep. And to me, that sounds very difficult for the chefs, of course. But as a diner, that sounds like the most exciting thing imaginable. It, it, it can be uh, fantastic, but you take a risk. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> it's almost like a guinea pig. Because what are the chances that even a genius chef is going to have an amazing idea for every dish, every day with different ingredients that he finds at the last minute on the markets and so on. It's very unlikely. So with Jean-Louis, actually, I learned how to um, accept failure sometimes. Interesting. Because some of the dishes were not, uh, uh, they were too too new. We didn't have time to really train or, or know if it was working or not. And sometimes when he was eating the right note, it was the best meal of your life, the best dish ever. But sometimes we were like a bit of a, uh, inconsistent. And uh, for me, it was interesting. It was an interesting experience because at Robuchon, we were, we were terrified by failure. It was not, it was not something that was accepted uh, in that culture. So Jean-Louis really um, reconciled a lot of things for me by, by having that kind of a I, I call it crazy, but crazy lifestyle and and crazy um, ideas of bringing ton of ingredients, putting them on the kitchen table, and saying, "Guys, I think we're going to do this and we're going to do that, and let's do it." And you were like, "Oh my God, I have half hour to really do that." And so anyway, it was interesting, terrifying. Yes, I mean, as as someone who on a you know on a very minor level is constantly making stuff up and never knowing what dinner is going to look like until it's really cooked. Um, I I love that, but I also understand the terror of doing that professionally to then go out and say, this is going to cost you, I mean, in those days, $20 or whatever it was. But but, um, I wonder if you remember any particular dishes that turned out really, really well or really, really badly from the Jean-Louis days. Anything you loved? Yes. Well, I, I love I love ninety nine percent of what what he was uh, creating. But I remember one day he decided to do something with figs, and he wanted to do kind of a, a dessert with figs. And 
he didn't really explain it. I don't think he really knew himself how to how to do what he was asking us to to create. And we didn't remove the skin of the figs. And that became so bitter. And it, the texture was so chewy <laughs> and so disgusting. <laughs> and we were like, we, can, we cannot really serve that. And we did, we did serve it, actually. Um, and uh, one great dish is uh, one day he brought back some live lampreys. So those are kind of like monsters. Gigantic. I mean, they are, it, it's part of the fish, it's fish family, but it looks like a snake yeah, yeah. and they suck your blood. <laughs> they were live. They are monsters. They were live. And I was like, he's, he's crazy. We're not going to cook that today. So we killed them and so on just before the service. And he did an amazing, amazing lamprey a la Bordelaise with red wine sauce. And, and he was improvising with whatever we had and we added to the dish. So yes, yeah, some, some, bad experiences that became funny and, and and interesting like the fig dessert and then the lamprey which is the opposite was like just genius i mean i wonder if there are people with the kind of freewheeling attitude that he had who are willing to do that kind of thing now anyway le bernardin was based on le bernardin paris both are fish restaurants known for being fish restaurants there were of course fish restaurants in New York and elsewhere before that, but not four-star fish restaurants, not this kind of glorious thing. I mean, I remember it. It was wonderful when you got there. It has continued, as we said in the intro, to be wonderful. You've brought it along. You have consistently made things fresher, simpler, lighter, and so on. But I wonder how you see things having changed in the last 25, 30 years. Well, when I started at Le Bernardin, I was very influenced by my background, my childhood. So I grew up in the south of France and uh, in the north of Spain. So all the flavors that I like and ingredients that I like were very Mediterranean-like. And, um, and also I was very influenced, of course, by my mentors, which is Joël Robuchon and, and Jean-Louis Paladin and so on. So the food that I was creating at that time was a polite compromise in between the vision of Gilbert Lecoz, who was the chef and owner of Le Bernardin, and ideas that I had. And Gilbert was, was from Brittany, and I was from the South. So we were meeting in the middle, and I was very respectful of him and, and very admirative of what he had done with Le Bernardin. Um, unfortunately, he passed away in 1994. It's when I had really the, the, the complete freedom to do whatever I wanted. And Again, we started to see a lot of influence coming from my childhood and, and from uh, influences from my mentors. And um, I started to find my, my own voice uh, by basically being in the kitchen every day and creating dishes and so on and, and saying, well, I like this style. Or I don't like that style. Actually, I should direct myself to... Uh, uh, a certain simplicity that I really, really uh, like and, and remove ingredients from the plates. And actually, I don't really care about presentation. Obviously, it's very important. And at the end, I will make sure that the, the dish looks good. But my main concern is to elevate the fish to the next level. And everything that's going to go in that plate will, um, will have this purpose. So I created the mantra for Le Bernardin that says, the fish is the star of the plate, which means 
we don't cook with fish, we cook for the mm. fish. And whatever is in, a, in that plate has a purpose, has a reason to be. And, um, and then we have evolved because I, I live in New York. I'm a New Yorker 30 years later, obviously. And as you know, it's, it's, a, it's the capital of the world. And we interact with different cultures. And we, we see different techniques and the ingredients from other chefs. Uh, we are in New York. I mean, the chefs in, a lot of chefs in New York are very lucky because they can travel also. So we can go uh, in Asia, we can go in South America, go back to Europe and so on, or, or visit the US and then discover again a lot of um, great food that comes back and uh, in some ways digested it and, and, comes, and comes again in, with some influences in the dishes uh, that make uh, Le Bernardin food today. So I would say, it's kind of like a natural fusion of cultures that are inspired by my own personal experience. Uh, and then again, keeping the mantra, uh, fish is the star of the plate, let's keep it simple and let's uh, gather the best ingredients possible. And therefore, this is what I think the evolution has been in the kitchen. And Le Bernardin has evolved at the same time in the dining room with the service that was very formal, became much more interactive and relaxed. And also the decor in the dining room that was very French, uh, 1990s, yeah. 1980s. Yeah. And, and today it's, it's much more contemporary with um, very conducive to uh, high energy and so on. I wonder how the fish itself has changed. We were both around in the in the 80s and early 90s when suddenly you could get fish from anywhere in the world via FedEx anytime you wanted. And I remember going into restaurants and them bragging about, oh, we got this from Honolulu or we got this from Japan or we got this from Spain. And then we went through a period where, no, that was not what you wanted. You wanted to say we got this from Maine and we got this from Cape Cod and we got this from Long Island and we got this from off the shore of New Jersey, off the coast of New Jersey. In other words, the fish is local and really, you know, this is what our area represents. I know you've been through all of that. How has that evolved and, and where are things around fish at now? Well, first of all, we do not serve farm-raised fish. It's all wild ever. and all sustainable ever. Wow. I, except for the salmon for, from the Faroe Islands. And the, they are probably the best farm in the world by far. Um, but they have fjords and they close the fjords and very few animals that eat the natural food that is on, in this fjord, on those fjords. And then they have a, a way of, of making them grow and, and be happy and so on. So that it's almost <laughs> like eating wild salmon, but it's not. But except for that item, everything is wild at Le Bernardin. Everything is uh, sustainable. We don't want to serve endangered species. And then I would say 90% of the fish comes from the, the East Coast uh, in between uh, North North Carolina and, and Maine. Um, and that's where, where we find most of our species. And the benefit of that is, first of all, we, we um, support the, the local uh, fishermen uh, in our region. Uh, so it's, it's helping the economy, obviously. And then we have fish that is super fresh. I mean, I call Maine, I call Portland, 
it, where they have an auction house for the fish at, before six o'clock at night. And I will get the fish in rigor mortis tomorrow morning before seven o'clock. You cannot beat that. No, you can't. That's fantastic. Yeah. And are you limited much by if you're saying you're not serving, you're only serving sustainable fish, are you limited much by that? Are you getting a variety that... As you know, we have those lists, right, that are telling you, so you have in the red, few species, and then the yellow, few species, and the green is whatever is sustainable. And those lists um, are very subjective, in my opinion, because... Uh, a caught fish that is caught by a tiny fisherman uh, with one line is not the same cod that is caught by a factory boat or something like that. And yeah. uh, so therefore, sustainability is, is very subjective. You have to use your common sense. You have to use those informations that come from uh, organizations like NOAA, which is a government, governmental uh, organization. And... Uh, uh, then you you find your way and you know you know what is sustainable or, or not now i have to say in the us i'm very impressed by the efforts of the government to create sustainability they have they have a very strict rules uh, and and the follow, the fishermen follow those rules very carefully because they leave, they will lose the license uh, and their boat if they if they cheat so uh, they have quotas uh, of fishing, they have uh, areas where they can go and fish. They have seasons where they can catch the fish or not. Uh, when the fish is reproducing, they cannot go, and and so on. So we are we are in the U.S. Uh, pretty well uh, uh, off with with uh, making sure that we do not deplete the population of the fish. One of the great success stories is the striped bass, and I'm sure you remember at one point striped bass was on the verge of disappearance and the, the, the stock was collapsing and so on. And the government stepped in and with the fishermen worked together. And today, striped bass is plentiful. And for many, many years, we are enjoying that fish that is local and from the East Coast. We're going to take a quick break now and we'll be back with more in just a minute. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. 
It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. We're all drinking more water these days, and we're all concerned that we're drinking safe, clean, unpolluted water. Yet, according to our friends at the Environmental Working Group, three out of four homes in the United States have harmful contaminants in their tap water. That's why it's worth checking out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers use a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process, and their countertop purifiers work with no installation or plumbing. They remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and are specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, you know, those forever chemicals in your water supply. PFAS, by the way, is found in almost 45% of U.S. tap water. AquaTrue has water purifiers to fit every type of home, from installation-free countertop purifiers to higher-capacity under-sink options. Their proprietary purification technology is independently tested to remove over 80 of the most harmful contaminants, including chlorine, fluoride, arsenic, PFAS, nitrates, and many, many others. The filters are affordable and long-lasting, and they do not need changing every two or three months like so many others. They last from six months to up to two years. Just one set of filters from their classic purifier makes the equivalent of 4,500 bottles of water, less than three cents a bottle. Plus, you won't be buying bottled water, and it'll save the environment from tons of single-use plastic waste. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and makes a great gift. Today, listeners to Food with Mark Bittman receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier. Just go to AquaTrue.com, that's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com, and enter code Bittman at checkout. For 20% off any AquaTrue water purifier, go to AquaTrue.com and use the promo code Bittman, B-I-T-T-M-A-N. Have you ever bought something, owned something that really inspired you to up your game? a tennis racket, a new pair of running shoes, a new piece of cooking equipment that made you just want to cook your brains out. I know that when I first started cooking on induction burners, I just couldn't stop. It was so much fun. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Some of the features that are available on this car include dynamic sky panorama glass roof, front row massaging seats, you know you want that, available 33-inch all-terrain tires, which you will want when you check out the multi-terrain select. These are really great features, the kind of features that will make you proud and happy to own a Lexus GX. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. 
I'd like to segue to vegetables and talk about how that's changed at the restaurant and and maybe a little bit in your life, and then we'll talk about the book. But some, in my mind, and, and maybe in yours too, fish and vegetables are similar. They go together. They are anti-meat in a way, not anti, but, but apart from meat, and very varied and zillions of types and so on. So maybe you feel the same way. I don't know. Well, first of all, I'm, I'm, I love vegetables. So when I was a kid, uh, I had a grandmother that was Italian, another one who was from Provence. My mother loved fine dining. However, we were not eating meat and fish every day. Uh, in Europe, we were eating fish on Friday because uh, it was a tradition. And then very often on Sunday, you had a roasted chicken or a leg of lamb. And then during the week, very little meat uh, or fish. Again, a lot of different preparations with vegetables. And, and again, I was lucky to be in the south of France where we had the best vegetables. Uh, oh, and the best. The, the, the taste and, and, and the fruits too are, are amazing. So I, I love, all my life, I love, I love eat uh, vegetables and cook vegetables. And what I realized a few years ago is that Yes, at Le Bernardin, I enjoy tremendously creating with seafood and I eat fish every day. But on the weekend, um, when I entertain, especially in the spring, in the, in the summer and beginning of the fall, I go to the farmer markets, uh, I go to the farm stands if I am in the countryside, and I have tremendous joy in shopping and, and seeing the new string beans and the fava beans and the peas and the, the asparagus right now, or during the summer, the tomatoes. And, and, and then I bring all that back home and I do a little bit like what Jean-Louis Paladin taught me. I put it on the table and then I improvise. And I cook all those vegetables uh, very often separately with different techniques and spices and so on. And I have eight, nine, 10 different preparations. And then I put them in the middle of the table we invite, I mean, with COVID, it was a challenge, but we usually we invite 10, 12 people uh, along, those, uh, along the table. And it's very convivial and we, we share and, and everybody takes a bit of anything they want. And uh, we pay homage to, the, to each vegetable. They have their own personality. I call that personality, their own yeah. uh, um, qualities and so on. And... Because of that lifestyle, I said, you know what? I should do a book about vegetables. Why not? And and that's why I created uh, Vegetable Simple. When you were young, it sounds like you were eating, and maybe we can talk a little about specifics. It sounds like you were eating Italian, Southern French, Mediterranean. Vegetable Simple is the simplest collection of vegetable recipes I have ever seen. The title is perfect. When I think of Le Bernardin, away, when I think of you, this is what I think of the simplest treatment of something that is legitimately called cooking in a way. Um, it's very much like your fish. Uh, can you talk about that, but also a little bit how different that is from what vegetables were like when you were growing up? So vegetables, when I was growing up, were coming from... Uh, so we, I was going with grandmas to the market, or my, my grandfather had a little garden in the back of the house, uh, and, and I was eating those vegetables. And they were not necessarily beautiful, and uh, they had little stains and so on, but they were, they were really, really flavorful. And then um, when I live in, in, in Paris, uh, 
when I was going to the markets, the vegetables were beautiful too and, and, and delicious as well. But when I was going to supermarkets, they were just beautiful. And in America, when I came to the US, I was shocked by how beautiful the vegetables and, and produce were. But I was also very disappointed by the flavor. It, to me, it was such a huge difference in between the European products that I knew and the American products. And it's, it's because they cultivate it in a different way to, to have more yield and, and so on. And uh, yeah. they, they harvest when the vegetables and fruits are not ripe and therefore they can keep them for a long time. But vegetables that are not ripe and that become ripe in a supermarket don't have flavor. So that was for me a, a big challenge. Now, we are very lucky in New York. As you know, we have uh, Union Square Market on the Upper West Side. We have a huge market on Sunday that is uh, next to the, to the Museum of uh, Natural History. We're starting to see a lot of um, organic products that are ending in, in stores and so on that are coming from uh, small, small uh, farmers. And it's a big movement in the US to support the local farmers. And that has made a huge difference for the quality of the, of the produce that we are using. And the difference in, in uh, complexity of dishes that you grew up with, vegetable dishes, and the kinds of dishes that you have in this book, which are cook this simply, put the tiniest amount of sauce on it, here you go. Actually, one recipe in the book has two ingredients. I mean, don't, we don't cut the salt and the pepper, but you take the tomato and you put olive oil on it, rock salt and cracked pepper. It's called uh, tomate croquesel in French. It's an appetizer. So if you have a, a tomato that doesn't taste like anything, that is full of water, and you cut that tomato, and you put olive oil, salt, and pepper, well, it, no, it's no pleasure. It's, it, mm. it's no flavor. It's nothing. It's, it's just like red. But if it is the end of August, beginning of September, and you have some beautiful tomatoes coming from a farm stand from a little guy and you choose the right one and you cut it and you put olive oil and uh, again, rock salt and cracked pepper, you are in heaven. It's an experience. <laughs> You're like, my God, this is, this is the best thing in the world. If you have something that is amazing, it doesn't need much to elevate yeah. the qualities of it. Well, I think you really show that well in here. This is it's a it's an unusual book in its simplicity and beautiful. So, congratulations! Thank you, on Thank that. you so much. It's impossible not to talk about COVID. Um, people are very curious about what happens in every restaurant in the last sixteen months or or whatever it's been, and the famous restaurants especially. So, can you walk us through a little bit about what the, yes. the Bernadan experience was like since last uh, February March? Sure. I think it was on March 10, I was watching the news constantly at Le Bernardin. We had a TV screen in our office and I was like, this is, is going to be really bad. And the virus was uh, in America and New York seems to be a target. And I said, we cannot take the risk anymore to be open. Um, we cannot take the risk for our employees, for the purveyors and obviously the clients. We have to close. So I close on Friday the 13th, a week before it became mandatory. Mm -hmm. And I was, of course, devastated, but at the same time, very relieved that nobody got sick. 
None of our, we had 180 employees at the time. None of them got sick. Uh, and then we were closed, I thought, for two weeks. And I will see them again, or three weeks maybe. And as you know, we were closed from March until October. So that was extremely, extremely difficult uh, financially, as you can like, as you can imagine, for uh, yeah. a business to stop like that, and 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 have no income at all and have a lot of expenses is extremely, extremely challenging. However, we were able to survive the crisis because we were very conservative with the way we managed the restaurant and so on. We did a GoFundMe for our employees and raised 200 and something thousand dollars. We did another fundraising for our employees a bit later and we raised $250,000. So we were helping them in that way. We were trying to find jobs for them for as private mm -hmm. chefs. Uh, or in other states where it was not as bad and uh, and the employees were kind of fine. We reopened in October at 25% capacity with a very strict protocol. And we even, even installed some machineries in our ceiling that killed the virus and so on. And uh, we operated like that for two and a half months. Then the governor shut us down again. And uh, again, nobody got sick. And I was very happy about that. And then we finally reopened uh, mid-March this year. And since then, I mean, now we are at 75% capacity, but we were until last week at 50% capacity. And uh, since then, uh, it's much better. However, Le Bernardin is in Midtown. Uh, the buildings are empty. People are working from their house. So we're not open for lunch. And then Broadway, wow. Broadway is closed. So we don't have uh, people that are going to the shows, but we do about 110, 120 covers a night. We don't have any private events. So all of, all of those things are challenging, but we are able to, uh, to operate normally and to compensate our employees uh, properly as well with, with uh, good salaries and so on. And, uh, and now we are waiting for, again, New York to be at 100%, Broadway to reopen, people to come back to work, and, and, and then we will be fine. But yeah. I see the light at the end of the tunnel, and I'm very happy that um, nobody got sick. All our employees are vaccinated, and, and that's, it's uh, also a relief uh, for us. Has the food changed in the last year? Were you able to work on new dishes? Were you, did you think about things differently? We, are, we have been working on new dishes, of course, since we closed. And our menu has changed quite a bit with, again, new dishes. It is challenging to find good products in general because a lot of little, especially when you deal with little companies or little farmers or, or fishermen, right? They have been so challenged by the crisis. A lot of them, unfortunately, went bankruptcy and a lot of them closed. And you do not find the products easily uh, because it doesn't exist any longer. I take an example. It was a family in Maine that was uh, picking crab, crab meat. And uh, that family had the best crab meat in the Northeast. And they couldn't sustain because their clientele were uh, high-end restaurants all over the country and some luxurious hotels, mostly. And then when we closed, 
they couldn't understand it, so they're doing something else. Right. And and therefore, it's difficult. We have to find another source. We have to teach uh, people to to do the right thing. Uh, and it will take a bit of time, but it will it will it will come back. I mean, I know there was little about COVID that was pleasant for anybody, but I wonder if you found solace or joy or whatever in cooking for yourself for a change. Well, I, yeah, you're right. Overnight, I became the private chef of the family, and, <laughs> and, and uh, I was in charge of breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And when we were actually in lockdown, I, I posted on Instagram all the food that I was doing for the family with limited supplies, whatever we were finding at the stores. And so no, no, nothing esoterical, nothing expensive. Um, very simple recipes that do not require 12 pots and pans because then I had to clean the pots and pans. Uh, right. I didn't have 12 burners. I didn't have help and so on. So I did, documented those recipes to help people that, we're in lockdown. And then in May, with World Central Kitchen, which is the organization of Jose Andres and City Harvest, that is um, the biggest food rescue organization in New York and in the world, we, we uh, worked together. And Le Bernardin was doing 400 meals a day that were going to doctors and nurses that were staying uh, in our neighborhood in hotels. They were here from out of state to support the New York doctors that were either way too tired or, or sick by, by, the, mm. by the virus. And then at one point, all those doctors and nurses left, went back to their states, and we uh, cooked for shelters. So we were cooking five days a week, 400 meals uh, for, for shelters until December, for, from May to December. Were you doing those 400 meals at the restaurant or some other kitchen? No, in our kitchen in private events. And we were doing and, that. And we were doing really, I, I was very happy. And I actually took a lot of pictures for my social media to inspire people to show what we were doing because the purveyors were very nice to us. They were giving us the food at cost or sometimes even like they were really giving, gifting us the food. And, and we were able to give food that was restaurant quality to people uh, in shelters. Like when we were giving a salmon steaks was like an eight ounce steak of fresh <laughs> salmon with a beautiful uh, vegetables that we had at the, at the time and also something, uh, a starch to be nutritional, right? And a sauce. We were making a sauce every day, a different sauce. And uh, actually to make sure it was good and at the same time it was practical for us, we were eating that for our own lunch. And when it, I mean, if it was good for us, it was good for everybody else. One more question, and then I'll let you go. What have you been cooking for yourself recently? Let's get specific. What are you eating? Last Sunday, I made a chicken stew. Chick almost like a, a navarin of lamb, you know, like, which is a stew with spring vegetables, spring and, vegetables paprika, yeah. and paprika and so on. But I did it with chicken. And as an appetizer, I think I... I find some beautiful asparagus and I made an herb vinaigrette with the herbs that we, we found and, uh, and the desserts, usually I don't take care of that because I'm really lousy and uh, the, fami <laughs> the family refused to eat my desserts. So no desserts. That sounds appropriate. Well, soon you can give them strawberries, I think. So Yes, they're coming. 
But this was really fun. It was great to catch up. Thank you. I appreciate it. It was my great pleasure and honor. Thank you so much for having me. Another recipe from Eric Repair's new book, Vegetable Simple. Um, this is warm golden beach with aged balsamic. So you take eight uh, medium-sized golden or yellow beets, trim off the greens. You don't have to peel them, and you boil them in water to which you've added a cup of red wine vinegar and a big pinch of salt. So you cook that until the beets are tender, which is an hour or so. Um, if you have to add more water, do and a thin-bladed knife that you poke into it will pierce the flesh easily when they're done. Uh, while that's happening, you take half a cup of aged balsamic vinegar and reduce it by half, which takes about um, 10 minutes, 8 to 12 minutes, Eric says. Cool that while the beets are cooking, and when the beets are done, turn off the heat, let them cool in the cooking liquid. When you can handle them, the peels will slip right off. If you've never done that, it's really quite amazing. Slice the beets in half, season with salt and pepper, and drizzle with that reduced balsamic. A lovely recipe. Okay, now's when we're going to answer a few questions from listeners. Hi, Mark. Uh, my name is Julia Shulman. I use your book all the time, by the way. I have a pet peeve. Why, when you're in a restaurant... Before you even taste the food, the waiter comes around with this huge pepper mill and asks, pepper? And shouldn't the food be seasoned properly before it leaves the kitchen? I never ask for more pepper unless I taste it first. But many people will just say, okay, pepper. Why? Freshly ground black pepper? Well, it's just become, it started in the 70s, which is a long time ago, but it's just become this thing that shows that you're a good restaurant, that you offer freshly ground black peppers. So I have two interesting stories about this. Once, one is that my father, who, as you know, was a maniac, once went insane in a restaurant because they didn't offer him freshly ground pepper. Like, what kind of restaurant is this? No one comes over and offers freshly ground pepper. Um, that's one. And the other is probably the reason they started bringing pepper mills out from the kitchen or wherever, from the back of the restaurant to the table, is that people used to steal pepper mills. And I was once at a restaurant, again, with my parents and my friend Bruce, and I think his parents, and we brought our friend, who I refer to by his initials, which are JB. And um, JB stole the pepper mill and they came running out after him and embarrassed us all in the parking lot. So, but it, it is sort of, yes, of course the food should be perfectly seasoned, but you might want to put your own salt and pepper on it. I mean, my big pet peeve surrounding this is that they've taken, and this is pre-COVID, they've taken the salt off the table. So now you have to ask for salt if you want salt. So yeah, it's a minor annoyance, but hopefully my story is made up for it. We're going to address one of your questions now with Kate and Daniel. Hello, this is Helen Conroy. Is there some step for cooking prep, or baking for that matter, that one always sees in recipes, but that you routinely ignore? I have one that I can think of off the top of my head, and that would be peeling ginger. I don't do it. I just take the ginger out, and I don't chop it either. I just grate it with a microplane and... It seriously has saved me so much time. 
every time. It's an awesome trick and I'm super proud of it. Daniel? That's a good one. Now that you meant, it's funny, I was racking my brain when Mark asked the question, but now that you mentioned that, I feel like there's a million prep things that I never do. I don't peel carrots. I don't think I've ever peeled a tomato in my life. Not that all recipes call for that, but some do, and I don't think I've ever bothered. I never cut the little stem tip off of garlic. People can eat that, not a problem. I don't devein shrimp, which a lot of people don't like, but I just don't do it. I've never had a problem. People only complain when I tell them that I don't do it. They don't complain when they're eating the shrimp. So that's in the prep category. Cooking, I feel like there's probably a lot more. I don't soak beans that much because I don't typically know that I want to eat beans tomorrow. I usually just know that I want to eat beans today. So I just throw them in. That seems to be fine. Um, I often don't wait for the oven to preheat, especially when roasting vegetables or something. It's hot and it's getting hotter every second. So just put them in there and watch when they're crispy and they seem tender. You can eat them. Um, baking, I don't know. I mess with less and I bake less generally, but I don't think I've ever sifted anything before flour and baking powder and baking soda all together. Um, I think that's out. I'll measure in baking. I won't really measure that much in, in cooking, but we all, we all seem to survive. I'm with you. I, I went through a period of not even peeling garlic because my copy editor at the Times, Pat Karowski, used to say, well, the peel's going to come off somewhere along the line, but then you have to fish it out. So tomato peeling, absolutely. The shrimp deveining thing I once did a story about, and there were people who said shrimp tastes better if you don't devein it. So that was it for that. That, that just confirmed that that was the way to go. Right now, uh, we're going to pause and Carrie is going to take one of your questions. Hi, this is Sarah Bills from Portland, Oregon. My question is, my family loves crackers, but I find the amount of packaging that comes along with store-bought crackers to be just too much. Do you have a great go-to cracker recipe so that we can make them at home? And bonus points for a grain-free cracker for when my celiac friend visits. Hiya, Sarah. Carrie here. And I'm going to help you with a rather breathless version of Mark's crackers. The full recipe appears on the Bitman project with a lot more detail, but I think we can do it. 400 degree oven, preheat with a pizza stone or a uh, metal baking sheet to get hot while you make the dough. Then you're going to cut two tablespoons butter or good quality vegetable oil or olive oil, and a half teaspoon salt with one cup flour. I'm going to take the gluten-free challenge and say you can either use a one-to-one -one baking mix, people like Bob's Red Mill, though I haven't tried it for this recipe, um, but I'm going to go for a half cup each chickpea flour and brown rice flour for a whole grain version. Doesn't that sound good? Let's try it. Uh, it either works or it doesn't. Uh, okay, onward with the dough that does work. We've got um, this coarse meal now. We're going to add a quarter cup of water. It should come together in a ball. If it doesn't quite yet, um, add water one tablespoon at a time till it does. Knead a couple times, then cut the dough in half. We're going to work in batches. Put a piece of parchment paper down and sprinkle it lightly with flour, and then roll the dough to one-eighth inch thick. 
I know it's thin, but the dough is forgiving and so are we. So um, if it, you have to patch it, whatever it takes to get there, then score it into the triangle, squares, or rectangle shape you and your family like. And then the most important thing is poke it all over with a fork. This is called docking to help it bake evenly, you know, like saltines. It'll look a little bit like saltines. And then you take that whole piece of paper and pop it on the hot surface and let it bake for 10 minutes before you peek underneath and see if it's brown. If you've got some goldenness going and the dough is firm to the touch and starting to get colored on top, then take it out. Otherwise, let it go another three to five minutes. Put it on a wire rack and let it cool while you work with the other half of the dough. Resist the urge to eat all the crackers right away. Let them cool, break them into pieces, and then store them in an airtight container, and they'll keep for a couple days. That's it for this week's listener questions. If you have a question about food, cooking, or whatever, call our listener question line at 833-FOOD-POD, or to put it another way, 833-33-66-3763. I want to remind you, I want to just say before leaving, uh, keep cooking. But remember, too, that the fight for better food for all is really a fight, a fight that involves justice, social, legal, racial, environmental justice, and more. Better food for all means better agriculture, more democracy, less inequality. Again, more than that, too. But in short, a better world is possible. Let's try to make it that way. I want to thank Eric again for joining me today on the podcast. I thought it was a really awesome interview, or at least I had fun. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, You can order his new book, Vegetable Simple, or buy it wherever you buy your books. And you can follow Eric. The spelling of his name is E-R-I-C-R-I-P-E-R-T, at Eric Repair on Twitter and Instagram. And he is Chef Eric Repair on Facebook. Folks, if you liked today's episode, and if you're still listening, I can assume that you did, then please subscribe to Food with Mark Bittman on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you like to listen. It would be real helpful if you left us a five-star review on Apple, and detailed reviews are the best way for new listeners to discover the show. You can find the recipe from today's show in the episode show notes or at BittmanProject.com or at MarkBittman.com. They all kind of go to the same place. Finally, Food with Mark Bittman is a part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Check out Airwave's other shows at airwavemedia.com or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Mark Bittman, and thanks again for listening to Food. See you next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.